So I want to start off as always by thanking Chazak for putting together this year. And we find ourselves in the three weeks. And these are sad days. I mean, that's what we are taught. That's what we're supposed to think, that these are sad days. These are sad three weeks where we mourn the, the destruction of the Besamekdash. And really, we're on the path towards the destruction of the Besamekdash. But there's something very interesting about these three weeks because Chazal actually said that originally Hashem was going to make these three weeks and really Shiva Sabatamas and Tishabah, they were going to be Chagin. This is supposed to be an ideal time. This is supposed to be a happy time. And what I want to do today is I want to really delve into this topic because I want to delve into what went wrong. And Tishabah is a whole different topic, but we're talking about Tamas. We're talking about Shiva Sabatamas, but I want to talk about the month of Tamas itself. Because in Jewish thought, every month has this unique theme, its unique purpose. And the Arizal, the Vilnagon, they talk about the month of Tammuz as the month of sight, the month of Ru'iyah, of seeing. So if we're going to talk about what this month could have been, what this month should have been, and Shivasubra Tammuz and really the, the entire trajectory of the three weeks could have been different, I want to really delve into the concept of Ru'iyah. The concept of sight. And to do this, I want to also really ask a question about the very naming of the month Tammuz, because the month is called Tammuz. Why? You ever, you ever ask yourself, what is Tammuz? So if you actually look at the, they're trying to talk about who Tammuz was, what Tammuz, what, what the whole thing represents, but Tammuz was a false prophet. He was a Navi Shekhar. And the naming of the month Tammuz, in, in essence, commemorates a tragedy of, of idol worship of a Navi Shekhar, of a lot of bad things, and specifically of a desire, specifically idol worship. So the question is like this, what is going on? Why is the name of a month named after someone like Tammuz? And what is Tammuz and idol worship of a desire? What does this have to do with Re'iyah? What does this have to do with seeing? And what is the concept of seeing? And I guess the last question that really frames this whole discussion is what does this have to do with the base amygdala? What does it have to do with the three weeks itself? So this this is such an unbelievable topic because we're going to delve into into so much of what it means to be a Jew, so much of what it means to be a, a living Jew, someone who's thinking, someone who is perceiving. And this is the most important point that I want to share to frame this whole discussion. Just like it's never too late when we talk about the three weeks, what the three weeks could have been and should have been and what they ultimately will be, it's never too late to tap into that potential. It's never too late to become the ultimate version of yourself. It's never too late to change yourself, to change the way you are. And this is really what we're gonna be talking about today because what is this whole topic about when it comes to Ria? So when we talk about seeing, when we talk about changing how we see the world, changing how we see ourselves, changing perception, the best place to start is the concept of avodazara, is the concept of idolatry. So the misconception of the simple understanding of idolatry is that you worship stones, you pray to a tree, uh, you know, you think uh, nature is, is God. So that, that's how most people are brought to, to perceive avodazara. But the deeper Jewish sources, the Ramchal talks about this, the Ram talks about this, the Ramban talks about this, Maharal talks about this. The Avodah is not worshipping stones and rocks and the ocean. It is the inability to source yourself all the way back to the ultimate root, to the ultimate source, HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. So what do I mean by this? 
without getting into all details, because we could spend hours and hours talking about this, Hashem created the world in such a way that there are layers and levels of existence. So there's Hashem himself, and Hashem emanated layers and levels of existence. And each level receives, Shefa receives energy, receives life, receives existence from the level above it. And in essence, Hashem is the ultimate source, but everything in between is also the source of existence. There are, there's a hierarchy, there are, there's a chain, a level, Nev Shechem goes into all the different levels and chains of existence. But what's the point here? Avodah is getting lost within the intermediaries and not sourcing yourself back to the root. So if you go to the koach of, you know, without getting into all, all different concepts here, you know, the concept of the Greek gods, each god represents a different koach, a different strength. So there's no actual root source, there's no root Hakash Baruch Hu, it's just the different kochos. That's the idea of Avodah is getting lost in the intermediary kochos. So why would someone do that? Why would someone serve Avodah A couple different reasons, but the most obvious reason is ego, is selfishness. Why? Because if I'm going to recognize Hashem as the ultimate source, I also have to accept the responsibility of what that means. That's being mitzvah, that's being obligated to live in accordance with the ultimate truth. But why would I want to do that when I can get all the goods, when I can get everything I need by going to the intermediaries and not having to listen to Hashem? So the mashal that's given, a beautiful mashal, is if someone goes into a store and goes to the, you know, the clerk behind the counter and says, listen, I know the cost $500, I'll give you 200 if you give it to me. He doesn't want to deal with the owner. He doesn't want to pay the actual price. He just wants the goods. And he'll do whatever he needs to do to get what he wants. When you serve yourself, when all you care about is yourself, you don't need to go to the source. You go to the intermediary to get what you want. Now, what, what's the problem here? What, what's the concept? Avodah is a misuse of the concept of sight. Because true sight, true sight is seeing things as they are. It's seeing things objectively. It's seeing past the surface. It's getting to the root of anything. If you want to be a Baal Chachma, someone who's, you know, Tamil Chacham, someone who's wise, in any form of wisdom, really, you want to get to the root of the, uh, of the very nature of your field. If you're having a discussion on any topic, you want to go to the root. If you're stuck in the details, if you're stuck on the surface, you're not going to understand, you're not going to see things clearly. And true sight, true re'iyah, is being able to get past the surface, past the mazalos, past the, the intermediaries, past the, the constellations, the stars, the moon, and being able to get back to the root. So the problem of Odazara is the inability to see things objectively. The inability, and, and remember, the reason why you would do that is for, you know, to serve yourself, it's, it's egotistical, it's selfish, but the principle at hand is the inability to use Re'iya properly. And that's why the Pasuk says in Devarim, Perik Dalad Pasuk Yetas, It's basically saying that don't use your eyes to look at all the stars, the constellations, and to get stuck in the intermediaries. Source yourself back to Hashem. That's the ultimate purpose. And so many of yours throughout Jewish history, paradigmatic of yours, are all tied up with this concept of re'iyah. Even when you don't think about it, for example, Chava's sin. 
What does the Pasuk say? It says, that she saw, right? Getting stuck within the surface, getting stuck within your imaginative faculties, imagination, getting stuck within the physical, getting stuck within what your imagination conjures up. That is so tied up within the root of sin. Because all of sin is the disconnect between you and Hashem. And that happens when you're not seeing things as they are. When you are not seeing things objectively. When you haven't negated your ego and been able to, so to speak, rise to the highest level of self, the highest level of consciousness. When you get stuck within the surface, that's when temptation draws. That's when you start coming up with all of these rationalizations for getting stuck within the surface for doing that which is opposite of what you really should be doing. And that's why the Chit HaEgel as well, so it's amazing. It says, Chit HaEgel, the Ya'ar Ha'am, the nation saw. It's always tied up with Re'iyah. Meaning, and this is something which we're going to have to develop in a little more depth. Maybe we don't have time to do so much right now. But the concept of Re'iyah is that the surface always yields possibilities. The possibility of reflecting higher truth, of being an emanation, of being something which, which is not an illusion, but an allusion, meaning an A as opposed to an I, meaning it reveals the ultimate truth, or it can hide, it can distort. And that really is so important for, for example, the Chet HaMaraglim. The Maraglim, they saw things that were objectively true, they saw the giants were dying when they went to Israel. They saw that the land eats up his people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is performing a name, saving their lives, but they, they basically distorted the Re'iyah as opposed to revealing a higher truth that Hashem is, is being mashkiach, is taking care of them, that there's divine providence. They saw it as, no, this land is going to destroy us. We have to get out. Now, why they did that, we're, gonna, we're not going to be able to go into today. That's a whole share. Maybe we'll, we'll touch on it briefly. But the notion is like this. Re'iya so easily leads to corruption, where you're not able to see past the surface. And this really gets at, uh, for example, the, there's a really, really fascinating and important Pasuk in, in Yeshayahu, uh, Yeshayahu Perak Men, where the Pasuk, it's Chavav, the Pasuk says, Si'u ru'u mi bara'ila. So the Pasuk, which is, this is Nivu, Hashem is basically saying, look, look at the stars, look and see who created them. So without getting into the, there's a lot of depth here we're not going to be able to go into right now. Me, Bar'ila, me represents a certain deep idea. But, so it's not me, Bar'ila, who created this? Me, it's me, Bar'ila, me created this. But what's the notion here? It's a contradiction. Hashem's telling us to look up at the stars and see who created them. So previously we just quoted the Pazak and Devarim says, you shouldn't look up. You shouldn't use re'i, you shouldn't use sight. You shouldn't look up at the stars. Now we're saying you shouldn't look up. What's the idea? But as you've probably guessed already, the idea is that sight depends how you use it. So you shouldn't look up when you're just getting stuck within the intermediaries or you get stuck within the surface itself. But what should you do? Look up and see who created them. Get past the surface. See the surface as a reflection of something higher. And that's the ideal. The Maharal says that everything in the world is potential. Electricity, for example, it can give you a shock 
or it can uh, charge your appliance. It can, and the more energy, the more energy, the more power, but also the more power to do good or bad. So for example, you have uh, 20,000 volts, you can light up a, a community, you can also get electrocuted, right? It's, it's all about how you use potential. Wisdom. Wisdom can be used to share and inspire and help people live according to the truth. It can also be used to corrupt. And you can, you know, be devious and figure out ways to use people. It's charisma. You can inspire people or you can get people on your side to do what you want for them and manipulate them. It's always a question of how you choose to use the potential. Re'iyah, one of the most potent examples, if not the most potent, is you can use it to reveal the truth or you can project yourself onto the truth meaning you can see the surface as a reflection of something infinite, something higher, or you can see the infinite as something that is just exactly as it is. Or you can actually project whatever you want to see onto the surface. Because Ri'ia, in essence, is just a reflection of yourself. You see things as you are, not as they are. And the real goal is learning how to shift, adapt, and revolutionize your perception. To see things more and more as they are, and for you to become more and more in touch with the truth. And that's a lifelong journey. It is never too late to start. It is never finished. It is a lifelong journey. It is just every day you can deepen your perception. Every day you can see things in a deeper way. And what I want to do for just for a few minutes is talk about the concept of sight. Because we're going to talk about how to deepen your sight, how to see objectively in, in a moment. But what I want to do just for a minute is talk about the concept of sight. Because re- is such a powerful concept. And we've delved into this in, in, in Shirim in the past. Here's the most important principle before we talk about this. Everything in the world is here to reveal deep truth. So you can use anything in the physical world as a medium of connection to Hashem. To understand spiritual depth. Everything's a muscle, everything's an analogy, everything opens up the mind to connect to Akash Baruch Hu. The physical body, our body, we can talk about this forever, the body is created as one of the most essential ways of connecting to Hashem. We're built with Salam Al-Kim, that has a lot of different meanings, a lot of different ways of understanding that, but your body is brilliant in every way. In the way that it functions, also in the Chachma that it allows you to come in touch with as you contemplate, why was I created so? Why is my face this way? So, for example, the way that your face is structured, here's just a cool example, is it goes from your ears to your eyes to your nose to your mouth. That's a process of creating oneness without getting into how, what that means. But look, your ears are two, it gets closer, your eyes are two, it's closer together. You're not, your nose, two nostrils, but they're really close together. And then you have a mouth, one single mouth, really, also one tongue. But everything, the entire structure of the human body has tremendous depth. Your head, which is your moach, your, your brain, your seichel, that's the highest, your lave, your heart, your emotions, that's, so to speak, in the middle, and then your the rest of your body, your, your most physical organs are lower. It shows the structure of how things should go, which is really the concept of melech, right? Moach, lev, and then kaved, your kidneys. But it's also like that whole lower part of your body. It's like your thoughts, your intellect, your Torah should guide your emotions, with should guide how you live your life. But it's all within your body. You can see it within the physical structure itself. It's brilliant. So. Now let's think about the concept of Ru'iyah. 
And re'iyah can be most beautifully contrasted with shmi'ah, with, with hearing. Re'iyah, when you see things, you see things as they are. When you see an image, you see it all at once. Seeing is static, right? Everything happens. It's also objective, we'll talk about this in a moment, but it's happening outside of yourself. Shmi'ah, hearing, happens inside of you. It's a steady process where you have to hear one word after another word after another. You have to put the pieces together yourself. It's happening inside of you. It's subjective. Not no two people hear the same things because it's a it, it's it's a whole avoda. It's a whole uh, you know it, it's a, a laborious activity to really understand a conversation, to understand a share, to understand a lecture because you have to put all the pieces together, and that's why hearing. It's a process. Re'iyah is static. It's like the difference between Olam Hazah and Olam Haba. Olam Hazah, this world is where we create ourselves, where we build, construct, develop ourselves. Olam ha, that's Olam Hazah, sorry. Olam Hazah is where we construct and create. Olam Haba is where we experience who we are. We experience the person we created, the person we developed, the consciousness, the soul, the, the very inner essence, inner being that we developed. And that's a lifelong journey of becoming. And that's why the weekdays in Shabbos parallel that. The, the Gemara in Brachos, Tav Samach, the Gemara Brachos, I think it's that time, we'll have to look it up again. But the Gemara Brachos, um, it's, sorry, it's Daf Nun Zayin, Daf Nun Zayin. The Gemara Brachos, Daf Nun Zayin says that Shabbos is Me'in Olam Why? Because Shabbos is a taste of staticness. It's a taste of experiencing who you are. You don't do malacha, which is creative activity. You experience the person you've become. And the Wheaties reflect Olam Hazet, process, creating yourself, becoming. And, and this whole notion of Ri'iya versus Shmi'ah is so important because when you understand the, the dynamic between the two, you understand how to appreciate the process itself because who you are, who you've become is because of who you've created. And that's the dynamic between Shmi'ah and Ri'iyah. The Ri'iyah is how you see it, but Shmi'ah is the process of developing yourself into how you see the world. And the way that you see the world is very much a result of who you are, as we just discussed. So Re'iyah also is, is very important in the sense that Re'iyah, in a certain sense, is the most, I guess you can say, explicit experience. I mean, we have five senses. Out of all of our senses, the one which helps you experience the world in the most potent and, and I would say, explicit form is Re'iyah. If someone's, Rahman's uh, someone who's fortunate doesn't have sight, they can't really experience the world. In, the, in nearly the same way as if they're missing one of their other senses. Sight is the most potent, most powerful form of experiencing the physical world. And in a certain sense, Ria also helps you experience the world outside of yourself, meaning all the other senses are happening within, within inside of you. You smell inside of you, you hear inside of you. When you touch, it's really like, it's, it's literally, you can, you can argue it's on you, but it's, it's very much an internal experience. All of your other senses, including hearing, taste, all of the other senses are happening within you. Sight, while it's happening within you, we'll get to that in a moment, of course it's happening within you. It's really happening within your mind. It's shooting off neural responses, which are basically triggering an experience within you. That is, But the experience that you have of sight is outside of yourself. Think about that. When you see things, of course you're seeing it inside of your mind, but the experience is outside of you. 
And that's unbelievable because the whole idea of ru'iya is something objective, something static, something real, something external, something above your ego. But the problem of ru'iya is when we mix our ego into it, when we're unable to see things as they truly are. And just like a thought experiment to think about, if you didn't have ru'iya, then when you heard things, you wouldn't even think that the hearing is happening from outside of you. You think that you're hearing things that are inside of you. You have no notion of the, the, the outside world in the same sense. It's, it's something very interesting. Ria expands your entire notion of existence. It gives you this objectification, this, the, the, the ability to get outside of yourself. And it's a powerful concept because in reality, sight is happening within you and sight is subjective and we can talk about Kant we can talk about how in the entire notion of all human knowledge is very limited and subjective and there is a certain sense of I don't see things as they are I see things as I see them and I definitely see things limited to human faculties human abilities meaning I'm only able to understand based on my cognition based on my intellectual faculties I'm only able to experience emotions based on my emotional faculties. I'm only able to see based on what my eyes show me. I'm only able to feel and, and, and smell and, and taste based on, in the here based on what my senses allow me to. So I am fundamentally limited. I don't know if there's more. I don't know if I'm seeing things or hearing things as they are. I don't even know if that there's more that I'm not experiencing, whether there's a sixth sense, a seventh sense, an eighth sense that I don't have. And I'm just not able to experience the world as it could be. But what's more important here for our purposes is that the way you see things are the way that you see them, but not necessarily the way that they are. And while that's very fascinating for intellectual curiosity, for our purposes, what we're going to really try to understand here is how do you learn how to see properly? How do you learn how to transform your vision, your perception, to see things more as they truly are? And, and that's going to be what we're going to spend the majority of our time, whatever time we have left, in this really fascinating question of how do we see properly? Not only what we look at, but how we look at things. What's the proper way to do that? So the most obvious problem when it comes to sight, as we mentioned, is seeing only that which is on the surface. The inability to trace yourself back to the source. Because the real goal is, is to see things objectively, but let's just build this slowly. Number one, seeing by definition is limited. When you see something, all you can see is physical. You can't see the spiritual, so you can't see my mind, you can't see conscious. But even more so, when you see something, all you see is that. You can only see finite, limited, corporeal things. You can't see that which is infinite because it would be beyond the, the very notion of sight. Sight is a th you can only see a thing. You can't see no thingness. You can't see that which is beyond thingness, that which is beyond a finite object, right? You can't see an idea. You can intellectually say, oh, I see what you're saying. That's what we mean when we say, I see what you're saying, like I understand it, but you don't see it physically. So re'iya, sight is limited. And that's why you can't see Hashem. Hashem isn't physical because if Hashem would be physical, you'd be able to, well, beyond all the fundamental problems with that, Hashem is unlimited. Hashem is beyond even saying, you can't even say he's infinite. He's beyond infinite. Hashem is beyond all boundaries and limitations. And if you could see him, he would be bound and limited to your sight. So one of the reasons why Hashem can't be physical is because Hashem, well, 
Hashem includes the possibility to, uh, to create, find a two to create the physical, and in on the the physical is an aspect of a Gash Baruch Hu, but Hashem himself is infinitely beyond. And the reason why, I mean, there's a famous story where like an astronaut, one of the first astronauts went into outer space and says, I ain't see God. He must not exist. So what was he expecting? Like you go to outer space and see like a giant guy saying like, oh, I've been waiting for you over here. It's like Hashem cannot be finite, cannot be corporeal, cannot be limited. Hashem is beyond all limitations whatsoever by definition. So Re'iya does no justice for Hashem himself. So when you're stuck with Re'iya and you want to, I mean, one of the reasons why, one of the classical reasons why people are drawn to Abu Zara or of the like is because people have a hard time dealing with the abstract and the infinite. They want a finite God. They want someone who they can relate to and say, this is the person that, or, or the, the being, the thing that I'm connecting to. And therefore they get stuck with an intermediary, so to speak, because they aren't satisfied with the infinite, with the abstract. Part of the goal is being comfortable with the infinite, the, the paradoxical, that which is beyond expression, but being able to connect to the expression of that which is beyond expression. I mean, Hashem is infinite, beyond anything, but he expresses himself within the world. So you connect to the finite as a medium of connection to the infinite. That's what the Beis HaMikdash was. The Beis HaMikdash was the medium of connection. It was the point where HaKadosh Baruch connected to the world. Marel says we have three concepts of 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 connection within the mouth, right? Eating, speaking, and kissing. And the base I make this is where all three occurred. The Gemara says that that's where HaKadosh Baruch Hu ate. That's in the Chaim and the, the Kuzri talk about this. Karbanos were HaKadosh Baruch Hu eating. When you eat, you connect your soul to your body. When, the base, when we, so to speak, bring Karbanos to the base Mikdash, it's the conceptual concept of eating. It connects Hashem to the world. It's also where HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke, the, the so we can talk about how Hashem spoke to Moshe through the Kruvim. And also the Gemara says, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu kisses the world. The kissing is the universal concept of connection and love and oneness. And it's the meaning of where Hashem kisses the world, where Hashem eats, where Hashem speaks. It's where we connect to Hashem. It's where the infinite connects to the finite. And that's a beautiful concept. And that's where seeing comes into play. Because when you want to see the infinite through the finite, that's the power, the koach of Ria. But when you get stuck within the surface, when you get stuck within the finite, when you are unable to source yourself back to the ultimate root, back to the infinite, back to the source, that's when seeing becomes a Vodazara. That's when seeing becomes a problem. That's when seeing becomes timeless. That's when seeing results in the three weeks. And that's when we have problems. So the correct use of seeing is when you use the surface to source yourself back to the root. That's the concept of Hakar Satov. Hakar Satov is recognizing where things come from. Tov, in addition to being good, Tov is something that has real existence. Hakar Satov is you recognize where things come from. When something is good and real and, and, and is, is transforming your life, you say, where is this coming from? You source yourself back to Hashem. You source the Koach, the Tov, the Shafi, source it back to its root. And that's why, uh, one of my favorite divinatories, that's why Kibbutz of Aim is on the right side of the Luchos, because the right side of the Luchos are being Lamakam, right? Hashem exists, don't serve with Zerah, Shabbos. Why is 
keep it on the right side. I always tell my friends, I love you so much, but I don't understand. They're like, you're not Hashem. Why, you, why is keep it on the right side? But what's the deeper idea here? The right side's not been Adam Lamakam, it's been Adam Lamakor. It's between you and your source. The first step of recognizing getting outside of yourself, of negating your ego, of sourcing yourself back to Hashem, is recognizing that I didn't create myself. So I'm talking about Amalek, talk about Mitzrayim, that they, they consider as if they created themselves. Disconnect themselves completely from Hashem. But when you recognize that, no, I didn't create myself. My parents brought me to this world, but where did my parents come from? And you start yourself back to the and you start yourself, you start yourself ultimately back to Hashem. Keep it up, Amy, is the first step in sourcing yourself back to Hashem. That's why the right side has been Adam Lamakor. And there's so much beauty behind this whole idea of a Karzatov, of sourcing things back to its root. That's what a Baal Chachma does. You source Pratim, you source individual details back to its klal, pratim and klalim, you source the prat back to the klal. So you have hundreds of halachas, what's the, the core principle? You learn sukkabin and shas. You're going into, you know, sukkas of gershon, yevamos, of, of kedushin, of shlichus, of uh, learning yevamos, you're learning uh, sanhedrin, you, whatever sukkah, you're learning hilchas edus. You can learn so many different halachas, but if you want to really be a tamachacham, you have to learn the ikar principles, you have to learn the klalim, you have to learn the concepts. The Iker concepts are responsible for hundreds and thousands of pratim, of individual expressions and details. When you learn a sugi in the Gemara, you want to, want to learn all the sugis that relate to that question, and then you want to say what's the ultimate principle that's responsible for all of these different opinions in the Gemara? What are the, what are the debates for the underlying principles? When you learn Shulchan Aruch, when you learn Mishnah you learn Halacha. The underlying principles are responsible for the Halacha. They're responsible for how we live our life. So in life, you want to always be sourcing yourself back to the Iker root principles. And that's the whole idea of Tchilas and Tzitzas. Where Tchilas and Tzitzas, because Tzitzas is all about sourcing ourselves back to Hashem. It happened after the Chet Hamaraglim when they misused their sight and they didn't connect themselves back to Hashem. We, we're Tzitzas. Why? Number one, Gematria Tzitzas is 600. We have eight, right? There's, and basically you get to 613 by, um, by connecting the eight strings and the five, uh, I think it's the five knots. I, 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 I'm trying to remember exactly how we get to 613. But you also have Tchilas. What's the idea of Tchilas? The idea of Tchilas is that it's blue. It connects you to the ocean, which is also blue. Then it takes you to Shran, which is also blue. Then it takes you to Kisiya Kavod. What's the idea? The idea is constantly sourcing yourself back to the root. Sourcing yourself. Yeah, there's there's five knots in this. So you source yourself back, which is 613, 600 in, in five. So you source yourself back to the root. That is the core. That is the ideal. That is what we're going for. And that's a media which you always want to have in life. You want to learn how to see the physical world where everything is always bringing you back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything's a muscle, everything's an analogy, everything is deeper than it seems. Everything is a medium of connection. It's a muscle. It's, it's like, for example, how are we supposed to relate to Hashem? All we see is the physical, but how are you supposed to relate to me? All you see is my body. But you intuitively know that I have a consciousness, I have a mind, I have a neshama, but all you ever see of another person is their body. But from their words, from their actions, from their facial expressions, from their body language, from how they express themselves, you intuitively connect to their inner essence, their inner mind, their inner consciousness, their inner soul. It's the same way. We connect to Hashem through the physical, through the physical expression 
of how HaKadosh Baruch Hu emanates and expresses himself into the world. And that's the, the most unbelievable idea. If you take one idea, that's that the physical is a medium of expression. And when you can get past the surface and understand that there's an infinite realm beyond the physical surface, then you learn how to use the physical to delve deeper into that true inner root. And, and that's the goal. Because what, what prevents us from doing this? Well, what causes a misuse, a corruption of sight? It's thinking that there's nothing beyond the surface. It's thinking that the surface is all that there is. And you get stuck in an imagination. You get stuck in you know, physical temptation. You get stuck in the surface. And part of the problem, part of what stops us from tracing ourselves back to Gosh Baruch Hu is ego. We, we basically convince ourselves that we're all that exists. Uh, you know, everything's about me. Everything. Once you are able to get outside your ego, once you're able to negate your ego, then you're able to start seeing things objectively. And that's the beautiful idea behind when we say in Shema, Lo it should be the opposite. It should just be that you shouldn't stray after your eyes or after your heart. Why does it say you shouldn't stray after your heart or your eyes? Because the way that you experience and see things already internally affects your physical sight. Your life, your life affects how your physical sight is experienced. When you change your perceptions, when you change who you are, then you change your sight. And that's the ultimate goal. It is never too late to change how you see yourself. It's never too late to change how you see the world, how you see Hashem, how you see other people, how you see anything and everything. We, it's neuroplasticity. You can always transform yourself, mold yourself, really get more in touch with who you truly are. Become the ultimate version of yourself. It's never too late to start, and it's never too late to take it to the next step. It's never too late to keep on pushing further. And with a question that we're now going to really address, and this is one of the last things that we're going to talk about, is how do you see objectively? How do you mold your perception? How do you uh, take this beautiful idea, which is that we're in this world to see things as they are, to become our ultimate selves, to allow the physical to express and reveal the ultimate spiritual truths? How do we do that? It's a good question, right? So number one, Number one is, is learn Torah. Learn, learn, and keep learning. Torah is a revelation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will, Hashem's will, Hashem's Ratzon, and Hashem's Chachma. And when you tap yourself into that, it's like a download of higher consciousness. You start to see things with a spiritual consciousness because you become Torah. And that's also important. Don't just learn Torah, become Torah. Live it, breathe it, talk about it, think about it, dream about it. Just become Torah. Become a walking Sefer Torah. There is nothing more unbelievable than becoming a walking Sefer Torah. Then when the things that are on your mind, when your mind starts flowing, are Torah thoughts, are Torah questions. Are, you, you live within a realm of spiritual, elevated, higher thought, higher experience, higher consciousness. That's number one. Number two is self-awareness. Become more self-aware of who you are. This is Musa. This is, you know, what can you work on? What's what's stopping you from developing your midos, from developing your character, from improving your relationships, from improving how you eat, 
Uh, are you exercising? Are you, how do you talk to yourself? Are you motivating yourself to become better? Or do you basically, do you talk negatively to yourself? Or do you just convince yourself that you're not capable of becoming more? It's really heightening your self-awareness, saying, who am I, why am I, what do I do, and what do I do, and why do I do that? Question everything you do. And this is obviously harder for people who've been doing the same thing for you know, 10, 20, 30 years, but it's never, ever, 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 ever too late. I've been eating this for the past 20 years for breakfast. Maybe I'll not do that anymore. I've been watching this every single day for who knows how long. I'm not going to do this anymore. I've been hanging out with these people. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's starting to become the owner of your life. It's a paradox. On the one hand, negating your ego means saying, Eno Movado, and I'm devoting my life to Akash Baruch on the other hand, there's hishtandlus. There's the sense of ani. Yes, you are also responsible for your life. And you have to take ownership. Ownership of your time. Ownership of your mind. Of your emotions. Of your body. Of your environment. Become someone that you're proud of becoming. Say, I'm going to start living consciously. I'm going to start making conscious decisions of what I do. Of what I think about. What I put in my body. And there's... There are no words that can express the incredible feeling of when you start going on that journey. And I would say number three really ties into that is learn how to negate your ego. Learn how to stop making everything about the small you and make it much more about the bigger you, which is the you that fits into something infinite. You're part of a community. You're part of the world. Your life is about so much more than satisfying your small desires as realizing that you are in this world for something infinitely more. And negating your ego means having that same drive for, for yourself, for achieving, for growing, for becoming, and, but having a higher purpose for it. And saying, I'm doing this for something more than just my own satisfaction, my own happiness. I'm doing this because I want to become the ultimate version of myself. And that is, and why do you want to become the ultimate version of yourself? that's why you're here that's my purpose that's my the reason for my life and my existence and number four and this could be maybe the most important for some you want to get a rabbi you want to get a teacher you want to get someone who can guide you who can give you advice because there are going to be questions you have where you don't know the answer and there are going to be times where you're struggling where you need inspiration where you need just simple advice and no one can be their own Rebbe 100%. Not 100%. Because you need someone outside of yourself to say, like, to keep you accountable, to give you guidance, to say, you know, maybe you should take some more. Maybe you shouldn't take so much on. Maybe this is too much. Just have someone that you can talk to when you need them to talk to you. When you need someone outside of yourself that maybe can give you a more objective perspective. And the ideal, by the way, is for you to be fully objective and for you to, in a certain sense, be a Rebbe in a lot of these categories of life. For halacha, for giving psak, you should always have Rebbe. But when it comes to self-awareness, when it comes to self-development, being your own Rebbe is the goal. It's not how you start. Very rarely are you self-aware enough to really be able to do it yourself. But to get to the point where you're really on your own feet, where where you're basically, the goal is not to just be dependent on a rabbi, but to be independent, where you can make decisions and say, I know how to continuously develop myself in the right direction. 
and that doesn't mean you give up the rabbi. It just means that you're not asking the rabbi every single day, okay, what should I eat now? Okay, should I hang out with this person? Okay, what should I do now? What should I read? What should I learn? You're, it, someone who's that dependent on a rabbi, it, it's just not healthy. The goal is to become more and more independent so that you're living your ultimate life and you're in touch with who you are and you're becoming more self-aware so you know the answers to these types of questions. And this is a little counterintuitive because we're talking so much about seeing, about seeing properly, about seeing objectively. But the only way to truly see objectively is to learn how to hear, learn how to listen. Because what's seeing objectively, it's deepening your perception. How do you deepen your perception? The concept of hearing is the concept of process, of putting piece after piece together. You want to become a Tamil Chacham, you have to spend years immersed, immersed in learning. You have to spend years devoted to the process itself. Because yes, one day you'll be able to see clearer, but how do you get there? I mean, right now, think about how many years of development it took you to get to where you are now. That's hearing. That's process. Seeing is how you see right now. It's how you experience life right now. It's how you perceive the world right now. And that relationship between process and being, between becoming and being, between process and destination, that's priceless. Because you have to value the process. You have to value going in-depth, learning be uh, you know, you have to train yourself to, to, to see past the surface. That's a training process to learn how to see things deeper and deeper and deeper. It's not just getting past the surface and seeing one layer deeper. It's an infinite journey of seeing things deeper and deeper and deeper and putting things together and creating oneness and multiplicity and learning how to become a Baal Chachma. It's, it's a life's journey of tracing things back to their root. And that is the concept of hearing, of putting pieces together, of creating oneness. And that's the most beautiful thing. And we're nearing Elul, and that's really the underlying message is that it's never too late. It's never, ever too late to deepen your perception. And Tamas is really, it is the theme of deepening our perception. The problem of Tamas was Avodazara. And the tikkun is learning how to correctly use the medium of the physical, correct, seeing properly, how to see past the surface. And that's really what the Beis HaMikdash was, as we explained. It was the medium of connection to the infinite. It's how we connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the physical world. How incredible is that? That we're in this world and we're able to connect to Hashem in the physical, through the physical. And we should be inspired. We should be inspired to use this time of the three weeks to mourn properly for what we lost, but to say, we're going to get it back. To say, I'm going to learn how to, how to uplift vision, how to uplift my ria. I'm going to recognize what I lost. I'm going to recognize what went wrong. And I'm also going to recognize that it's never too late to fix it. So our is that we should continue to grow together, continue to deepen our perception, and use this time of the three weeks to learn how to see with depth and with deeper clarity.